Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, uh, this is Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor of Chemical Watch, welcoming you to the second of two special editions of the news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch News and Insight team. We're here to take you a little further behind the headlines and provide you with a fresh insight into the big developments taking place in the world of chemicals management. For today's episode, I am joined by our Transport and Storage Editor, Peter McKay, our UN and Emerging Markets reporter, Alina Schart, and our chief analyst, Nat Wen. We'll be taking a look at some of the big themes from this year's Global Outlook series of articles, which examine in depth the policy and regulatory developments likely to affect chemicals management over the next 12 months. We will begin with Latin America, where, with potential OECD membership acting as a spur, there has been an increased focus in the past few years from governments in the region on regulating hazardous substances. We'll follow our look at Latin America with an update on key developments in transport and storage regulation across the globe this year. And finally, we'll head to the US, where we will get an update on the latest state-level developments in the regulation of per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS. So let's start with Latin America, where at least six countries are in the process of drafting chemicals frameworks. Now, progress on chemicals management frameworks in the region was generally slow in 2021, with many countries delaying legislation due to the COVID-19 pandemic. However, both Chile and Colombia took some big steps, passing chemicals regulation legislation late in the year, establishing a, a national inventory of industrial chemicals and a method for risk evaluation of priority substances. So, Alina, um, could you start by telling us a little bit more about their plans? Hi, Kate. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so Chile has been the first country in Latin America to create a national inventory of industrial chemicals. And they first published the regulation framework early last year and it will enter into force in different stages. So for example, the implementation dates for industrial substances was last February. Well, industrial mixtures need to comply with the classification and the labeling requirements as of February 2025. And the regulation also implements the UN's globally harmonized system, or otherwise known as the GHS. Um, And Chile didn't follow this before. And then over to Colombia, where after four years of negotiations, the government finally published in November its decree on chemicals management that will, like Chile, establish a national inventory for industrial chemicals. Uh, The inventory is expected to be launched by the end of 2025, and it will require companies to initially submit very basic information, such as the chemical name 
and the amount that is imported or proceeded. But the idea is that in the future, the health and the environment ministries will work together um, and use the inventory to select so-called priority chemicals. And companies producing or importing these chemicals will need then to submit more data on the substances. So that includes, for example, risk assessments and risk reduction programs. Okay, thanks very much, Alina, for that that overview. That's great. Um, So again, uh, in, I think, late 2021, um, Brazil's Environment Committee uh, approved the country's draft chemicals law, moving it a step closer to being enacted. Um, Meanwhile, Argentina, I gather, is expected to publish its amended draft chemicals law in 2022. Um, can you tell us a bit more about these developments uh, and you know what we might see next? Uh, yes, you're right. So Brazil, Brazil's Environment Committee in the lower house of the National Congress approved the draft chemicals law. And that means that now in the next few months, three more commissions will need to analyze the text before it progresses to the Senate. And so far, it's been quite a long and complicated process. Um, So the talks about the Brazilian chemicals law already started back in 2018, but they were shelved a year later. And then in 2020, a more narrow version of the bill was presented to Congress. Um, But that narrower bill wasn't very warmly received by industry associations and civil society organizations. So they've been really advocating to restore a more comprehensive version of the chemicals bill. And they've been successful because now the old text has been restored by a new rapporteur to the text. Um, And that means that if it is finally going through through the entire process and it will be enacted, um, it would establish a national inventory of industrial chemicals used in Brazil, and it would also establish criteria uh, to prioritize risk assessment and options for risk management. So that could include complete bans, restrictions on production of certain uses, Um, and a requirement for authorization. And then we are still waiting for Argentina to publish its draft chemicals law. Um, National Congress was expected to approve the regulation already back in 2020, uh, but following elections and, of course, delays um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, things have taken longer than expected. The latest update that we have gathered is that the executive power is still reviewing some of the chapters. Um, But once they have finished and once um, it's been fully adopted, the draft law will establish also an inventory for industrial chemicals in the country um, and also create a government entity to actually carry out risk assessments. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much for that update, uh, Alina. Um, And finally, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on another of these sort of important developments in 2021, which was the emergence of intergovernmental efforts to reduce the differences between existing and would-be regulatory regimes. So so what's driving those efforts and, and what impact might they have over the coming year? Yeah, that's a great question. You've really seen a really big drive um, of these intergovernmental efforts in the past few months. Um, And that's mainly because at the moment, as you mentioned at the beginning, there are at least six uh, Latin America countries independently drafting chemicals framework. 
Um, so there's been a lot of calls from industry, NGOs, and also other organizations for regulatory cooperation. Um, there are already a couple of initiatives that are interesting to highlight. Uh, for example, you have, of course, Mercosur. So this trade bloc, uh, which consists of Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay, they said almost a year ago that they want to increase the financial support for chemicals and waste projects and also implement the same version of the GHS across the region. And as an example of why that's very uh, important, um, of those countries, Argentina and Uruguay have implemented the fourth revision of the GHS, while Brazil has implemented the fifth revision and Paraguay has yet to adopt any version of the system. So because you have all these different classifying and labeling rules, it makes it very time-consuming and also costly to trade between countries. Um, and then another interesting initiative to highlight is the Latin America Regulatory Cooperation Forum. Um, and this brings together uh, a number of national trade organizations and associations. And last year they published a roadmap uh, for the coming years, and in that they recommend sort of a step-by-step -step process for building a regulatory um, framework. So if you're interested, um, I would definitely recommend taking a look at that. And then in the coming years, I expect you will see a lot more of these initiatives um, as countries um, start either to develop or start to process their uh, chemicals management across the region. That's great. Thank you very much for that, uh, Alina. Now, for the first time in the Chemical Watch podcast series, uh, we are taking a look at the dangerous goods transport regulations. Uh, our transport editor, Peter McKay, who is also managing editor of Hazardous Cargo Bulletin, will take us through some of the current developments and what to look out for as 2023 looms. So let's start with the UN model regulations. So, Peter, what's uh, going on in Geneva and what should industry be looking out for? Thanks, Kate. Uh, nice to be here. Uh, well, those who follow the international regulations covering the transport of dangerous goods know that the major changes happen in odd numbered years. That's because of the biennial cycle of rulemaking that goes on at UN level. So this year, 2022, is the one where the regulators are busy putting the final touches to the amendments that will appear next January. So top of the list is the UN recommendations on the transport of dangerous goods, otherwise known as the model regulations, or for obvious reasons, if you've seen them, um, as the orange book. Uh, the UN Subcommittee of Experts on the Transport of Dangerous Goods held two meetings last year, and there are another two this year, uh, one in June and July, and the last one of the biennium in November, December. And that's where they will agree the amendments that will be passed on to the parent committee for adoption in December. The 23rd revised edition of the model regulations reflecting those amendments will be published early in 2023. Now, after two of the four planned meetings for the current biennium, it might be thought that the UN experts have got halfway through their deliberations. That's not always the case. The third session of the biennium, which is due to start on 27th of June, is often the one where most proposals are decided on. The fourth and last session of the biennium is normally reserved for late changes and final tweaks to the wording. Uh, 
But the regulators, just like everyone else, have been affected over the past two years by COVID restrictions, with many delegates unable or unwilling to travel to Geneva. The subcommittee has been effective in using hybrid meeting systems, but there are other problems, not least financial. Uh, the UN is facing a liquidity crisis, and bizarrely, perhaps, uh, at the same time, is also in the midst of extensive renovation work at the Palais des Nations in Geneva, where the regulations are discussed. That has meant reduced access to those meeting rooms where hybrid sessions are possible, and more importantly, reduced availability of interpreters. In the Babel of the UN, decisions can only be taken when live interpretation is provided. Despite all that, a lot of work has gone on, although there are not many major changes to be expected in the next edition of the model regulation. Uh, Dwayne Fund, current chair of the subcommittee, said last year that the subcommittee feels that the model regulations are now sufficiently mature that they require little in the way of maintenance other than the adoption of provisions to deal with emerging hazards, many of which relate to energy storage technology. But during this biennium, the subcommittee has also responded to the UN remit to take into account the UN, UN Sustainable Development Goals. In practical terms, this will involve regulating the transport of emerging low or zero, zero carbon fuels. Uh, it can be easily imagined, I think, that the subcommittee will have to work quickly on this to keep up with the developments already being made in the industrial and transport sectors especially as there will inevitably be a need for research to establish the type and extent of the hazards such fuels present. Work is also underway, for example, to establish the hazards posed by sodium ion batteries, for which some provisions have now been adopted. Okay, thanks very much for that introduction, Peter. Um, so how, how do those model regulations uh, translate into the rules that industry has to follow? Well, yes, the UN recommendations on the transport of dangerous goods are just what they say, recommendations. They provide a model for the regulatory bodies to follow with the aim of providing a harmonised system of regulation across all transport modes. That has the dual purpose of ensuring the greatest degree of safety while also facilitating trade. Uh, those bodies that are responsible for the actual regulations that are used by shippers and carriers are expected to follow that model, except where the particular carriage of goods by, for example, air or sea, requires an alternative regulatory solution. So this year, those regulatory bodies are busy completing the amendments that will enter into force next year, and that are largely based on the current 22nd revised edition of the UN model regulations, along with some mode-specific changes. In the air mode, for instance, that means the International Civil Aviation Organization, uh, a UN agency, whose dangerous goods panel prepares the biennial technical instructions. Uh, the panel is con particularly concerned with the safety of lithium batteries in transport following a number of aircraft losses over recent years, where lithium batteries were suspected as the cause. And it's taking part in the ongoing multimodal project to develop a risk-based system of lithium battery classification with appropriate provisions for packaging. It's hoped that this initiative will not only increase safety throughout the transport chain, 
but also reduce the number of amendments to the provisions, which shippers do find particularly difficult to navigate. Um, another initiative from ICAO has been the introduction of competency-based training provisions, under which personnel involved in all aspects of the handling of dangerous goods, including their classification, packaging and labelling, will need not only to be appropriately trained, but also to be assessed by a third party to ensure that they're competent to do their job. This CBTA project has been flagged up for several years now, as it was seen as a major change for airlines, ground handlers, shippers and other parties. However, progress so far suggests that many, particularly the larger companies involved, are already compliant. The new provisions will become mandatory as from the 1st of January 2023. The International Air Transport Association's Dangerous Goods Regulations, which are produced by the airline industry and are in, in effect the field manual for the application of the technical instructions on which are updated every year, have included some guidance on competency-based training and assessment, reflecting the experience of its members thus far. While competency-based training and assessment is an initiative of the airline industry, which in fact uses a simpler approach in other areas of the aviation business, um, it's not gone unnoticed elsewhere. Transport Canada this year embarked on a consultation looking to bring similar provisions into its transportation of dangerous goods regulation, covering all modes of transport, and Canada may well not be the last to do so. Okay, thanks very much for that, Peter. Um, finally, what's going on in the maritime sector? And uh, there are some changes in the road transport rules, isn't that the case? Indeed. Well, the transport of packaged dangerous goods, including those in tanks by sea, is regulated by the International Maritime Dangerous Goods Code, the IMG, I, sorry, the IMDG Code which is maintained by IMO's Subcommittee on Carriage of Cargoes and Containers. The IMDG code is unique in allowing a one-year transition period under which the next revision, Amendment 4122, will be available for use from the 1st of January next year, but will not be mandatory until the 1st of January 2024. Also, the last revision, Amendment 4020, was due to become mandatory at the start of this year, but for various COVID-related reasons, IMO decided to allow further five months transition. So it doesn't become mandatory until the 1st of June this year. Before then, as well, IMO has promised an errata document, which includes some important corrections and clarifications, although we don't have it yet. Uh, in practice, though, most of the major container lines don't wait until the new IMDG code becomes mandatory and will require shippers to comply with the new provisions once it's available. So be prepared for the new Amendment 4122 early next year. Uh, the software providers will be working to ensure that their customers remain compliant, whichever amendment is being used. As to road transport, ADR is being used increasingly widely around the world as the basis for the regulation of the transport of dangerous goods by road. Originally developed as a regulation for the cross-border transport of dangerous goods within Europe, it's now used for domestic transport within the UK uh, and the EU, while many other neighbouring countries and others around the world, including Latin America and Southeast Asia, 
use it as a model or directly reference it in their domestic legislation. WP15, the body responsible for maintaining ADR, has done most of the work on the 2023 edition, which will contain some important changes, not least in terms of the construction and use of tank containers manufactured from composite materials, fibre-reinforced plastics, or FRP, as they call it, and the mutual recognition of US specification pressure receptacles. WP15, which falls under the UN Economic Commission for Europe, is also continuing its work with an eye on the UN Sustainable Development Goals, an informal working group on the use of electric vehicles for the carriage of dangerous goods has been making progress in drawing up relevant provisions, and it's aiming to have those ready in time for them to be included in the 2023 text. That work is increasingly urgent as there are already some operators using electric vehicles to transport dangerous goods under national derogations. And given the pace at which vehicle manufacturers are moving into the electric truck market, this sector is likely to grow very quickly. WP15 will hold its next meeting in the second week of May, where it will look at the work of the March joint meeting as well as that of the Electric Vehicle Working Group. It will make its final decisions on the adoption of new texts, which will be included in the 2023 edition of ADR. Okay, thank you very much uh, again, Peter, for that uh, great overview as to what we should be looking out for uh, over the coming year. So finally, uh, let's turn now to the US where state legislatures and agencies have been busy passing pieces of legislation or conducting rapid rulemaking processes. Now in 2021 alone, Chemical Watch tracked 139 bills seeking to ban or restrict the use of PFAS across the 50 US states. Out of these proposals, the states added 20 new laws last year on top of the 22 laws that were passed in 2020. Now, while most have already taken effect, many will do so soon. We're going to take a look at some of the sectors affected, starting with food packaging materials, where several states have already outlawed PFAS. So, Nat, um, you note in your Global Outlook report that uh, 2022 will actually be more of a planning year for industry as several compliance deadlines are scheduled for the 1st of January 2023. So can you tell us a little more about those deadlines and where businesses need to be focusing their preparation for them? Yeah, okay. So the actual compliance days of many of these uh, actions are in 2020. But that doesn't mean that you know, it's, it's the company don't have to do anything at the moment because in, in order for these regulations to come in and training for companies to comply with them by the January 1st date, um, the state are still putting out regulation, a consultation on some of the guidance or rules relating on how to come uh, on the, the actual compliance rules. So these rules define how a relative framework will be carried out in the future. So the how on the compliance is just as important as the what in, in, the, regula- in the regulation themselves. And what company needs to do at the moment is to be vigilant on following the developments that are put out in these guidance, in this consultation by the state agency, um, the equivalent of the State Department of Environment. Okay, thanks very much for that, Nat. Um, 
So um, another key sector for activity around PFAS um, has, of course, been its use in firefighting products. And, you know, we saw six U.S. states pass laws in 2021 placing restrictions on firefighting foam. Uh, So what should we be expecting in 2022? Well, PFAS continues to be a hot topic at the U.S. state level. As you know, our team has been tracking U.S. legislation throughout Legislation Tracker, which is a tool that's available to many of our current customers. And when we look at the data for 2022, PFAS has been mentioned a number of 131 times. Now, that's out of 323 bills that we're tracking on all issues relating to product stewardship and chemical management. And to put that's almost to putting that into perspective, that's almost forty percent of all the bills. And by contrast, the next highest chemical being mentioned is phenol at only thirteen times. So um, to say that PFAS is a hot topic is quite understated. But in terms of the topic, we see various attempts to regulate the substance. For example, um, for, you mentioned firefighting form, and that is still continuing to be on a high list of products being restricted. Ohio just cleared a bill through its legislature and awaiting the governor signing on a restriction on the use of firefighting form. Hawaii, Maryland, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania also have pending bills on this topic. It has cleared one house um, in uh, the legislature. In Hawaii and Maryland, the legislature are also looking to restrict the use of PFAS in packaging materials, while Maryland also extended the restriction to rugs and similar textile products. In terms of deadlines, unfortunately, they, they are not all uniform. And so companies must still have to follow and, and kind of track these legislations. And uh, fortunately, though, as we addressed before, many of the deadlines are upcoming in 2023 or beyond. Okay, thank you for that, Nat. Um, so now Vermont and Maine are two states that have taken uh, extensive steps to phase out PFAS in a, a range of products. Um, so could you just finish by telling us you know, what we can expect to see this year from those two states in particular? And again, you know, how should business prepare for, for what's coming? Well, both both states have very aggressive deadlines and timeline and in terms of the products they want to regulate and control. But like I said before, they are still conducting many of the studies, um, including getting public consultations for some of these rules, uh, just be, uh, because um, although there are bans, but some of these bans are conditioned on the fact that whether there are any uh, alternatives to to these chemicals, uh, so that that study, that consultation is gonna is ongoing, and in and so the advice here, as same as before, is that companies still need to track some of the information, have to follow the developments, and also provide input to um, to the the states um, on the feasibility of the substitution or, or the ban, uh, because like I say, some of the ban is not an outright ban. The ban is based on the availability of substitute for products. And, um, you know, and if there are substitutions available, then those bans will come to, into effect. So depending on the outcome of these studies or public consultation, uh, there might be delay or there might be, um, or, or the deadline might, might be there. So company needs to both be vigilant in following the regulation developments, but also kind of planning ahead for when, if and when those rules come into play. 
Okay, that's great, Nat. Thank you very much indeed for for running through uh, those developments. So that's it for today. So thank you again to Alina, Peter and Nat for sharing their insights into key developments for 2022. And thank you to our audience for listening to the Chemical Watch news podcast. Uh, We hope you found it valuable. Now, the Global Outlook series of articles for 2022 can all be found at the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. We hope you can join us again for next month's news podcast. Until then, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.